This past week was my son's first day of kindergarten. Uh, so here's a picture of Dex at his first day. Um, he's six, he, and uh, you know, it's just a, it's a tough thing for parents, right? And so Sarah and I are doing our best. We're keeping it together. And so we drop him off, and we walk him all the way to his classroom. We meet the teacher, we talk for a little bit, and then we walk away. Sarah and I, it's like a movie. We, Sarah and I, I grab her hand, and we're walking away. And I go, did you cry? And she goes, a little bit. And she goes, did you? But before I could answer, because I didn't want to tell her, uh, Dex runs out of the classroom and goes, Mom, Dad, wait! Mom, Dad, wait! Runs up to us, and we're like, what, son, what? And he goes, just wanted to give you one more hug and kiss. And I was like, it's the greatest moment of my life, you know? <laughs> give him a big hug, and he goes back into class. Uh, it was pretty much the most amazing moment ever. Uh, Welcome to PC Kids Sunday. This is something that we're going to do every single year where we set apart an entire church service uh, to share God's heart for kids and our heart for kids. And so uh, we've got some of the kids with us this morning, and so it might be a little bit louder, a little more rambunctious than normal, uh, but we'll, we'll make do. Uh, a question that uh, I, I think is fitting is, have you ever asked God why he designed the world so that the human race, when we multiply— uh, it's by having babies, and it takes years for them to become adults. Like, why didn't God design the human race so that we multiply like earthworms, right? Like, one adult splits and becomes another adult. Why do we have this season of little tiny kids that take years and years to become adults? Uh, why did God ordain that there be children? I think because children stand for something. They point to something. They represent something. There's an innocence, a beauty that we're called to embrace and enact. Children signify something bigger than ourselves. They stand for the kind of dependence and helplessness that we adults need to enter the kingdom of God. And in the ancient world, the Greco-Roman world, childhood was seen as an insignificant phase of life. Routinely unwanted children were placed on roadsides or garbage dumps. There's one ancient letter written from a young father to a young mother who is pregnant, and she says, if it's male, keep it. If it's female, cast it aside. The unscrupulous would collect exposed children and raise the boys to become gladiators and the girls to be prostitutes. Sometimes they would even intentionally disfigure a child so that they could get more from begging. This was the world that Jesus lived in, a world that didn't have time for kids. But then Jesus shows up on the scene and places worth and value, infinite worth and value on children. Not only that, he says things like this. Look at Matthew 19, 14. It says this, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. God's heart is for children. And here at Prodigal, we place a lot of our resources and effort into our kids. And for good reason. D.L. Moody, a famous pastor and preacher, was leaving a revival meeting where some uh, people asked how many conversions were there, and D.L. Moody said, two and a half. And then some, someone replied, uh, so like two adults and one child? And he goes, no, 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 two children and one adult. The children gave their whole lives, the adult only half. There's value in kids. And our vision here at Prodigal Church doesn't just include kids. No, 
our vision is for kids. This is why we spend so much time and resources on our kids' ministry. They matter. They're worth it. They're difference makers for the kingdom of God. Uh, Charles Francis Adams, here's a picture of him, a 19th century political figure, diplomat, he kept a diary. Uh, it's kind of an outdated thing nowadays, um, but uh, he kept a diary, and on one day he wrote, went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. His son, Brooke Adams, also kept a diary, which is, which is still in existence today, and on that very same day, Brooke Adams made this entry, went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. See, the father thought he was wasting time, and his son knew he was investing time. Uh, time wasted versus time invested. What's the difference for us? Because all of us have the potential for both of these. Every single day, every single moment, we can either invest our time or waste our time. What's the difference? Purpose. Purpose. Intentionality. Uh, if you invest in a child... It is not wasted. I really believe this, that something supernatural happens when a baby laughs. In that little cackle, like even, even at staff this week, uh, uh, we have a lot of young families in our, in our staff, and, and, and so sometimes a baby's in our staff meetings, and we enjoy that, and we love that, and so uh, we're talking about planning the service and everything like that, and then little man just starts smiling and cackling, uh, Maddie's baby, Jagger, and, and then all of a sudden, all of us in staff just start smiling and laughing. Like, we stop what we're doing just for that. Uh, it, it's something super, I'm convinced that not only is, does it make every human smile, it also makes all of heaven rejoice. Babies laughing. Uh, Brittany, our children's pastor, was sent a video this summer uh, from someone in our church. And it's of a little girl uh, from a tougher neighborhood, and she's singing and dancing in her living room to a song that she learned at church. Check out this quick video. So helping kids to learn to live and love like Jesus, that's what's happening in this video. Um, John mentioned that this was sent to us, and I just want to take you through her interactions. Um, this was after she came one time. So she, she came here. She was first, she had to be invited, and that happened. Somebody stepped out and invited. And then the next person came, and it was our greeter. And those greeters greeted this little girl with a smile, and she felt welcomed. And then she walked in, and she got a name tag put on, and it had her name on it. And she was taken to the classroom where she didn't know anybody, and she was greeted with a smile in her first name, and that meant something. And she sat through the classroom. She was taught by a volunteer teacher. She was doing a craft. And then she took that very craft, and she went home with it where she could share that little light of Jesus that she learned and that she experienced, and then to sing and praise and bring that home. Those things, that is what we're here for. That is what we're doing. We, we're launching our mission statement, and I started with that. It's helping kids to live, to learn, helping kids to live and love like Jesus. And that's what we're doing, the helping part. That's where we all come in. That's where you guys are doing an incredible job. And we, we are so thankful. If it wasn't for the chair that was set up, if it wasn't for the name tags, the greeting, the craft that was cut up and put into little baggies throughout the week so that they could be put on a table so that that little girl could take it home, 
that's what's making a difference and that is how we are pulling off helping these kids to live like Jesus and to love like him. And so we just want to say we're extremely grateful and we couldn't do it without you. Um, thank you guys. We're so blessed with such incredible leaders here at Prodigal and so many um, incredible, incredible staff. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, great evangelist, said this, I have more confidence in the spiritual life of children than I have in the spiritual condition of adults. I have usually found a clearer knowledge of the gospel and a warmer love for Christ in child converts than adult converts. D.L. Moody, who we spoke about earlier, said this, If I could relive my life again, I'd spend it doing evangelism for children. And then George MacDonald, the Scottish hero of C.S. Lewis, he wrote, I doubt a man's Christianity unless I can find kids playing at his doorstep. doorstep. We would be remiss not to encourage you to get involved in our uh, PC Kids Ministry. Um, our volunteers in our kids' ministry, they're incredible. And it's hard to single any out, but I'm going to. They all have such unique callings and giftings. Um, but we have a mom who serves in our kids' ministry um, regularly on Sunday mornings. And she has three kids. She has three kids, uh, and the oldest being about 13 years old. And she is a vice principal at an elementary school. Every single day of her life, she is surrounded by children. She goes to work, and she is surrounded by children. She goes to back to home, and she's surrounded by children. And you know what she does once a month on Sunday mornings? She intentionally surrounds herself with children in our toddler ministry. And she grabs one of her daughters, and she helps these kids learn to love and live like Jesus. And she helps her daughter do the same by serving these kids. Now, you might be thinking, well, she's a parent. Like, her family benefits from the kids' ministry, so yeah, it's only fair that she gives back. First of all, most of our PC Kids volunteers are not moms and dads that have kids in our ministry. But check out this passage of Scripture, because I think Jesus speaks to this. Look at Mark 10, 13. It says this, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. Then Luke 18, People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place hands on them. Did you notice that it says people? It doesn't say parents. The Greeks had a word for parents, but it intentionally in both Gospels says people were bringing kids to Jesus. They must have been grandparents. They must have been brothers and sisters, even neighbors. So if you're not a parent, it doesn't give you a free pass not to care and love children. God just might surprise you and speak to you in such powerful ways through those tiny little humans. Shows you patience shows you joy, shows you love. Uh, Matthew 18, Jesus dives into this concept a little bit further. He says this, it'll be on the screens. At that time, the disciples who came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. I love this, that Jesus, the, the, in Greek it says, he called alongside himself a little child. And the child, he just kind of shows him, he uses him as an example. And he says, you got to become like, like this little guy. 
And in a society where children uh, were insignificant, Jesus says, you've got to become like him. You've got to become like them. You've got to be insignificant. Uh, you want to be great? His disciples wanted to know who's going to sit on your right hand or your left hand of, the, of your throne when you're the king. Who's, who's going to be the boss? Who's going to reign with you, Jesus? And they say, we're greater. He's greater. I'm greater. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You've got to become like a little child. And isn't it beautiful that the child doesn't say, stranger danger, Jesus. Mom, mom, this man. No, it's as if there's a relationship there. That Jesus would walk by this little kid and say hi to him, pick him up, do the Gucci goo, do the... You know, Jesus, the God of the universe, is playing peekaboo with a toddler, and this toddler knew him. According to Jesus, it behooves us not to only minister to children, but to become like them. And I'm pretty sure that's the only time I ever use the word behoove in a sermon. <laughs> it, according to Jesus, it behooves us not only to minister to kids, but to become like them. Uh, more like, more childlike in our faith. Less jaded. Less cynical. Less negative. More joyful. More trusting. Stronger in our faith. For more than 30 years, Gordon McKenzie worked at Hallmark. He became a great executive. And along with challenging corporate normalcy at the card company, he did a lot of creative workshops in elementary schools and in inner cities and suburbs. And every time he would go and ask the kids, how many artists are there in the room? How many artists are in this room? And the pattern of responses never, ever varied. In first grade, the entire class stood up, waved their arms like crazy kids, right? And yelled, I'm an artist, I'm an artist. In the second grade, about half of the kids raised their hands. In the third grade, he'd get about 10 to 30 kids. And by the time he got to sixth grade, only one or two kids would tentatively and self-consciously raise their hand. All the schools that he went to seemed to be involved in something called the suppression of the creative genius within. They weren't doing it on purpose, but it was to make kids feel less foolish. And McKenzie says this, from the cradle to the grave, the pressure is on. Be normal. And this was his conclusion. It'll be on the screens. There was a time, perhaps when you were very young, when you had at least a fleeting notion of your own genius and were just waiting for some authority figure to come along and validate it for you, but none ever came. We want to do that this morning. We want to validate that in you. When you were a child and someone asked, what do you want to do when you get big? What was it? I wanted to be a fighter pilot like Tom Cruise, Maverick, and Top Gun. I, I dreamed of flying high. I remember having a toy plane, and I would... And just longing to fly and to soar. But there's something beautiful about these dreams that we had when we were young. And maybe some came true, and maybe some didn't. What, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that, would you as a child be proud of you as an adult? You might not be doing what you thought you were going to be doing, but would you be proud when you were little? Would you be proud of yourself today? We need to get back to that innocence, that dependence, that beauty. Uh, you guys know the phrase at Chuck E. Cheese? You know their slogan? Where a kid can be a kid? Let's change it. Let's steal that prodigal church where an adult can become a kid. <laughs> That's what we're about. Let's become more childlike. Let's be more childlike in our trust, 
with Jesus. What does it mean to become like a child to encounter and experience the kingdom of God? It, it means wonder, questions, awe, joy, living in the moment, dependence on someone bigger than yourself. Are there any adults in here that need to become a bit more childlike? I know I'm one of them. Uh, my son Dex and my daughter Ivy, when, when something's fun or funny, they want us to do it again and again and again. So Dex, uh, he's, he's, been, he's been into Old Town Road, you know? It's a good song, okay? Uh, and, uh, and so we're all in the living room hanging out, and Dex goes, like, hides kind of in this closet where we have a little toy, like, horsey that you can kind of ride on. So he kind of hides in the distance, and he yells from the closet, Mom, play Old Town Road. And we're like, no way. Is he going to do this? And then she starts playing. He's like, well, I'm going to take my horse. And Dex just comes out like this, and we're dying. We're laughing so hard. And he's like, pause it. Now let's do it again, you know? And then pause it. Do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Ivy, when I'm pushing her on the swing, again. She wants it again and again. There, there's this joy in the moment that, well, let's keep going. Let's, let's not let go of this moment. Let's keep it going. For grown-up people, we're not strong enough to ex exult in monotony, right? When our kid says again and again and again, we're like, stop. It, it's not funny anymore, and it's not fun anymore, okay? And we suppress him. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. Is it possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun? And every evening, do it again to the moon? It may not be automatic necessity that makes every single daisy flower all alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, but our father is younger than we are. Our father is younger. The repetition, the repetition in nature may not be mere recurrence. It might be theatrical encore. Do it again. Do it again. And joy arises from our father's face. We have a vision for more here at Prodigal. More for our kids. I read this, and I think it's true for me in my own life. My great-grandfather rode a horse, but was afraid of the train. My grandfather rode on a train, but was afraid of a car. My father rode in a car, but was afraid of an airplane. I ride, of an, ride in an airplane, but I'm afraid of a horse. <laughs> too often, we have taken our feet off the pedal and looked too long in the rearview mirror at past glories, at the past of way back then. And God wants us to dream. Someone said this, that we must always have more dreams than memories. This is true. This is true. I don't care how old you are. We're dreaming for the future. Big dreams for the future. Big dreams for you, your, you and your family and your kids and your grandkids. Big dreams for this church in the future. When we have greater memories than dreams, we will never make a difference in changing the world for the kingdom of God. God told Isaiah this in Isaiah 43. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I do something new. Isn't that amazing? That's why we're doing, that's what we're doing with this kids ministry. That's what we're doing, investing in them, watching them sing and dance and love and live like Jesus. 
God is a God of new ideas, innovation. He uses change. So we pray for new visions. We can't be content with what is and what was. We crave what we can be. There's an eight-year-old by the name of Danny Dutton from Chula Vista, California, down by San Diego. And uh, he was at a, a private school, and his thir third grade homework assignment was to explain God. Let me take it easy on the little guy. It's a tough thing to explain. Teacher says, explain God. This is what he wrote. It'll be on the screens. You can follow along. One of God's main jobs is making people. He makes them to replace the ones that die so there will be enough people to take care of things on earth. He doesn't make grown-ups, just babies. I think because they're smaller and easier to make. That way, he doesn't have to take up his valuable time teaching them to walk and talk. He can just leave that to mothers and fathers. God's second most important job is listening to prayers. An awful lot of this goes on, since some people, like preachers and things, pray at times besides bedtime. God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV because of this. Because he hears everything, there must be a terrible lot of noise in his ears, unless he has thought of a way to turn it off. God sees everything and hears everything and is everywhere, which keeps him pretty busy. So you shouldn't go wasting his time by going over your mom and dad's head asking for something they said you couldn't have. Atheists are people who don't believe in God. I don't think there are any in Chula Vista. At least there aren't any who come to our church. Jesus is God's son. He used to do all the hard work like walking on water and performing miracles and trying to teach the people who didn't want to learn about God. They finally got tired of him preaching to them and they crucified him. But he was good and kind like his father and he told his father that they didn't know what they were doing and to forgive them and God said, okay. This boy's comments weren't necessarily theologically accurate. But there's no question about the fact that his parents had taught him that God wasn't just a being to be obeyed and feared. No, God loves you. God has a plan for you. And children, God loves you. God has a plan for you. And adults, God loves you. And God has a plan for you. I want to invite Jonas and Alyssa to the stage. They're going to help lead us in communion this morning. And they're going to tell us what it represents. Here you go, Jonas. Today we will be, do, be doing communion. Communion shows how much God does for us and how much he loves us. The Bible tells us that for his last meal, Jesus took bread and gave it to his followers. He said that this bread represents his body broken for us. God also, Jesus also took wine, and he said this is, the, this is his blood that he shed for us. Today we want to serve you, prodigal church, like Jesus served his friends. And so we have some of our children that are going to be passing the elements during this song. And they're going to be coming down the rows. You're going to take the juice, and then if you peel back the first layer, the bread is found in there. And you're going to take the bread uh, and, and think about Christ's body broken for you. And then after you take the bread, you'll lift the cup all the way open, and you'll take the juice that represents God's blood shed for you. Would you pray with us, bow your heads and pray with us as we give this time to the Lord? 
So God, thank you for these wonderful kids that show us you. They show you your heart. We're so thankful for the inspiration that they are to us, the love that they increase in us, uh, the ways that you use them in our own lives. And so God, may we become more childlike. And so even during, now during this time of communion, where we think about your sacrifice and your love for us, I pray that as we take it, we remember your sacrifice and your love, your blood poured out for us and your body broken for us. In Jesus' name.